Hi, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Cinelinks podcast, a podcast where we invite marginalized authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. I'm your host, Steve Dunk, and thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter, of course, at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. And so, without further ado, let's get the show on the road and meet today's guest. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always the case, we will continue to encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. A reminder, February is Black History Month, a time when we remember important people and events in the history of the African diaspora. And while we should be doing things to support the Black communities all year long, this is a time to support, share, and boost causes and businesses in the Black community. Specifically, I'll post some links of some ways that you can do that after the show. Okay, Raquel Marie grew up in Southern California, where her passion for storytelling of all kinds was encouraged by her friends and big family. She received a BA in English with an emphasis in creative writing and a minor in gender and sexual studies, sexuality studies sorry, from the University of California, Irvine. She primarily writes YA contemporaries, starring queer Latine characters like herself. When not writing or reading, she loves practicing beauty and special effects makeup. Uh, I might ask her about that. That's cool. Watching and producing (laughs) YouTube videos and teaching herself to play ukulele, something I've also done in spite of her extremely long nails. I do not have long nails, but I have weird, (laughs) gross fingers. She's here today to talk about her debut book, Ophelia After All, which is described as a teen girl navigates friendship. Uh, friendship drama, uh, the end of high school, and discovering her queerness in Ophelia after all, a hilarious and heartfelt contemporary YA debut. Please welcome to the show, Raquel Marie. Hi, Raquel. Hello. Hi. I'm super happy to be here. There you go. So yeah, you've been on the other end of this thing, right? Well, not the other end necessarily, but you've been, you're a, you're a avid, you know, reader and, and reviewer and, and all sorts of things. So um, it's, uh, it's always weird you know, authors find it, oh, it's always strange when they hear their bio read back to them, right? Because I'm talking about you. Mm-hmm. It's essentially not for you, <laughs> it's for anyone listening, obviously. But but is it, uh, so you're just getting into this, into the author game. I mean, not just, but it's certainly published. But uh, a weird sort of word experience still or? Yeah, yeah. Especially because I'm only recently starting to hear it read back to me. It's very funny. The pit about my nails being long concerns me because my nails break sometimes. They're very long. And are I'm they? like, one day I'm going to be doing something and my nails are going to be broken and I'm going to look like a liar. Well, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the other thing too. <laughs> well, see, here's the thing too. And, and, you know, unless I've missed it somehow, you don't have a website. I don't. I, no. I, I have a, I have a link tree set up. A website was one of those things that I was like, I'm going to do it. And then life has been so chaotic the past couple months. I was like, all right, I'll put a link tree up with stuff like a media kit and then I'll figure out my website at some point. Well, you know, you're going to face the wrath of the Dahlia Adlers of the world. And uh... I know, I know. Every, <laughs> every time I see her tweets about it, I'm like, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it is, it is funny though, how, uh, it is important. I mean, there's like, there's all these, you know, there's all these things to like being an author in today's world, right. Where it's, yeah. like, you got to have uh, you know, you have to have a Twitter account, Instagram or Tumblr. You got to have a website. You got to do this. You got to have a newsletter. You gotta, like, there's so many fucking things you have to have and do. Yeah. Like you're just like, when, when can I write? I just want to write. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm also like, I have so many social media accounts and yeah. like 
emails and stuff i'm like oh, i really need a website too and everyone has resoundingly said yes you do yeah. so i will i will get on that at some point it's part of the game isn't it yeah you just do nowadays and uh, it's just it's it's really handy and i mean that will help with things like the bio and even yeah. like you know you're not going to get any of the you know the, the five questions all the authors get fucking asked all the time you're not going to hear any of those on this show but um you know, like it's really great when you go to a website, there's like an FAQ section or mm, yeah. things like this where you can like it just saves a lot of time and hassle right down the road, certainly. But, you know, the most important. Well, OK, the most important thing is having the website. <laughs> Number two is making sure it's up to date. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's you know, otherwise you will face the wrath of, again, the Dolly Adler's the world and, and the Rachel's and, and all these. Yeah, girls. I was going to say Dolly and Rachel are the first yeah. two that absolutely come to mind. And every time I'm like, oh, I need to put together my website. That's right. At some point. That's right. <laughs> and, and it's like that's, you know, and they're so great at reminding people to do that because it is because it's just because they know how important it is. Right. So, mm. um, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it was sort of a funny thing. And I'm like, am I like? I was like, have I forgotten how to use the internet or does she just not have a website? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I'll uh, get around to it. Get around to it. <laughs> We're at book two. Um, which actually I want to talk about the second here, uh, your second book. I know we can't say much, but mm -hmm. we will talk a little bit about it. Um, mm -hmm. But I do, uh, we were both just talking offline just about sort of, I'm having a great day today and I'm so fucking excited about it. So I'm super stoked to be talk, talking to you and a debut author, still in the pandemic, unfortunately, but it's it's just the way it goes. But I want to start off with that goddamn unboxing video, which had pretty much everyone in tears. Oh. Um, so uh, yeah, I like I am a huge unboxing video nerd. I love watching them. I cry pretty much every time. Mm -hmm. um it, there is there's so few instances of of uh just purely raw emotion i find i mean it, it's now it's it's a lot of it is of course because i you know you have to know how much work went into getting to that moment right yeah like there's not just it's not just like i'm gonna be a writer here's a book i wrote on the weekend by Wednesday, yeah. by, and then on Wednesday the box shows up. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's a long fucking road and a long journey. Um, but that wasn't the first time you saw the cover, obviously. So I'm, no, I'm actually not the a little first more the right. Cover. I'm actually a little more interested. Which was uh, Nicole Medina, by the way, did the beautiful yeah. cover. Um, so I'm actually a little more interested in that. And I know, and I know you know this as well. Authors most time have very little to do with the cover. So talk to me about if you had anything to do with the cover at all. And I want I'm more interested in knowing about the first time you just laid eyes on it because. And was that the first time you saw Ophelia not in your head? Yeah. Well, cause I, I'd like commissioned artwork before and do like pit crew and like those little things. But the mm -hmm. first time I ever saw the draft of it, um, it, I, I was asked for like, you know, what I was interested in, um, in early stages. And I just said, I wanted to see Ophelia on the cover, whether it was just her, whether it was her with her friends, like I wanted her presence there um and rose and floral imagery obviously because it's such a prominent thing in the book and her brand um but the first time i ever saw a draft of it it was just like a like a black and white sketch and it was very surreal because i feel like any other time i'd sort of crafted an image of her it it wasn't always like perfect or i didn't get to give as in-depth details but i provided like a very detailed <laughs> uh description of her for the cover because i'm i'm a really visual author um that's actually i have to cut down sometimes on how much i describe what people look like because i'm like people don't care this much but i imagine people very specifically and so seeing it the first time was super surreal because she looks so much like what i imagine her to be and 
the idea of like, oh, she's, she's starting to exist in other people's minds because someone had to go through the process of hearing how I described her and then drawing her and it ended up matching what I view in my mind. Um, and that's just, it's, it's such a strange experience when you start to understand that something you've created is going to be perceived by other people in, in a variety of ways. Yeah. It's amazing how I know like, it's so funny how many times I'm just like, you know, the whole don't judge a book by its cover, but um, oh yeah, <laughs> it gets fucking hard when the covers, it's great. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> um, now if you read the book and the best thing about the book is the cover, I don't know. It could be troublesome, I guess, but uh, yeah. <laughs> unless it's, unless it is the greatest cover of all time, but um, uh, this, yeah, it is a striking cover. And I, you know, the, the, I'm just looking at it again here, the details and the texture, like even like when you zoom in and you know, the freckles, for example, you might miss the freckles when it's yeah. so around or the deep, like the texture, the nice texture in the hair and stuff, obviously. Um, and I love sort of how, you know, the, the rose in her hair is see-through ish or whatever. Um, you can sort of get all technical on everybody here with my super arty language, but uh, <laughs> it's see-through. Um, but no, like it just, yeah. It's and her, but but the best, the eyes. I mean, like oh, she's, yeah. she's looking at you in a way that you're like, I need to fucking know more about this person because, like, I've already fallen in love with her. Like she hasn't said a word. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're just like, I yeah. definitely need to know more about her. So that's like, it's just, it's a really striking cover that way. Like she's really like, you know, staring at you in a way that makes you engaged before you even open, before you get to the front matter of the book even, right? Yeah. Yeah. Her expression is so like, it it, it looks like a real person sort of looking at you and she yeah. looks still like happy, but there's this sort of like, uh, there's an ambiguity to it almost that I think actually like works really well in the book. Cause she looks, you know, you don't really know exactly what she's thinking, but she really does look like she's looking out at you. And I'm also obsessed with all like the little, um, detailing, like there's, there's like red flecks in the background of the orange that I really love. Like, it's just so well-crafted. Like it looks like a piece of art, not mm -hmm. just you know, something that was thrown together. Um, and I feel like constantly people are telling me how much they love the cover. And I'm always like, right? Because I'm like, I didn't make it. So I don't say like, thank you. I'm like, yeah, right. Didn't they do an amazing job? <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, again, um, Nicole did such a great job here because it could yeah. be a shit show of a cover because there's like, it's just all flowers. Like her, like even her, yeah. her, her top has got flowers on it. Like it, it could have gone, gotten away from her, but I mean, that's why she's a professional, but, uh, it, it, it but it's not like, it's not a mess of things, right? Like it's, it's just, it's really, really well done. The balance of it is really, 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 really well done. And I love, I love how it has this front to back sort of, um, uh, perspective, which I really like. I appreciate. Yeah. yeah. To your point, she looks like it's like a mystery girl. Like you're walking somewhere, mm -hmm. some weird village somewhere and you look over and <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> and then this cover is staring at you in this big mess of a rose garden. And here's this beautiful sort of angelic person staring at you. And you're like, uh, who the fuck's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Um, sort of something you mentioned there about sort of just, you know, you're maybe you refer to it as an over attention to certain details, but yeah. And your thing, it talks about practicing beauty and special effects makeup that makes sense. Then if you have sort of like this, you over sort of stylized focus on, on the way appearance, for example, not, mm -hmm. not in a shallow sense, obviously just as far as details are concerned. Um, what's that all about? What do you mean special effects makeup? Like as in like actual like movie special effects makeup, do you like, do you do that for a living or is that just something you do on the side? 
No. So I, in high school, they offered this after school program for beauty and special effects makeup where they would teach you how to do beauty and special effects makeup. Um, and I ended up joining, I think my sophomore year of high school and continued it through my senior year. And I just fell in love with it so much. Um, I, I really love doing sort of intense makeup looks myself, but I really loved doing special effects makeup too and fell really in love with, you know, false bruises and cuts and, um, and just sort of like gore. Uh, something about it is just very, it's very cool to try to emulate this real life technique. And especially because beauty and special effects have such different strategies um, in beauty makeup. A lot of times you're trying to hide things and make everything look as natural and clean and smooth as possible versus with special effects, you have to get more gritty and textured. And it's about blending things in by making them not just super perfectly rounded shaped things. So that was actually something that I was considering going into after graduating college, but I graduated in 2020 and the idea of going into the makeup industry during a global pandemic was not particularly enticing for me at the moment, but it's something that I'm still considering getting like properly certified for just because I like the idea of doing it professionally. I really love doing it in high school. The school would hire the students of that class to do makeup for the proms and the school dances. And I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, and I think because it's kind of a freelance career, it would work really well with being a writer because you know, the hours wouldn't be super conflicting, but I really love doing it. And it's something that I would, I would like to get back into more, but obviously global pandemic makes it a little difficult to practice makeup on other people. Yeah. And like everything else in the world right now, eh? it's fucking like, it's truly is all encompassing as far as how it affects almost everyone's (laughs) like job or job (laughs) or career prospects in some way. Um, Unless you work for the CDC or some, (laughs) some insanely like, yeah, specialized thing. But um, the nice thing about that special, whether it's, you know, um, you know, makeup, whether it's for like, you know, to your point, sort of beautification or beauty or, or, uh, you know, special effects or whatever uh, creature effects or whatever path you choose to go down. um, There's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking entirely practical. Like there's no, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so practical and they're always going to do it. I mean, because even the most advanced computer shit we have now in film doesn't still hasn't really replaced it has it. Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It seems like it's a job that's here to stay no matter what people always seem to enjoy it. Um, And even now there's this like, you know, some filmmakers even sort of like sort of reverting back to, special effect makeup right like uh, even because there has been some advancements in that as well too right so mm-hmm. it, it looks better than ever and you look at something like the walking dead or something like this right? yeah like where it's where it's it's completely just like revitalized that entire sort of like rick baker ish you know <laughs> like industry mm-hmm. right where it's 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 become cool again right and and uh people are just so stoked about it and yeah i really just love the practicality of it how it's just all, it feels like it's always something that's going to be needed and required on a film set or a TV set or whatever. And, uh, and of course any photo shoot or whatever, but yeah, it's really cool. So that's, that's a neat, uh, I hope you get to, you know, eventually get into that if that's still your goal after the world isn't the fucking shithole that it is. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, before, uh, before we get into Ophelia, let's, let's do, I know there's not much we can say it's a year out, but you don't have a shot. Pitches a queer bandit like Beckham set at a soccer camp where two arch rivals must come together to redeem their reputations. 
and lead their team to victory. That's obviously, you probably can't say much more than that, but why don't we just go with sort of where you at with it and where the idea come from? Yeah. So I'm working on line edits right now. So I'm, I'm about to turn in the quote unquote final draft, but of course we still do copy edits and past pages and everything. Um, Yeah. The inspiration for it came last, no, in 2020. Um, I had been rewatching my favorite TV show of all time, Dance Academy, which is an Australian ballet drama, uh, and had started watching Haikyuu, which is a uh, anime about a Japanese volleyball team, and got really in- back into the idea of like competitive sports and how that's a really great medium for like found family and romance and connections with people. And I grew up playing soccer. It's a huge thing in my family. My parents met because their families played soccer together. So all of my on both sides of my family, everyone already knew each other before my parents were ever a thing. Mm. Um, and I put out a tweet saying, I really want to write like a soccer gays book, like two girls falling in love playing soccer, but I don't have time to do it right now because I was in the middle of doing Ophelia and I've got anthologies I'm working on. And everyone told me just do it anyways. And I started to think about a plot and I was like, I'm not supposed to focus on this. I had already had two different attempts at writing a sophomore book and Finally, I was like, okay, fine. This isn't going away. So I told my agent about it. She was immediately excited. And my editor for Ophelia had a like sapphic bend it like Beckham on her manuscript wish list. So it worked out perfectly. So I ended up writing most of it during NaNoWriMo of 2020, which NaNoWriMo is like my saving grace in, in writing books. So a lot of it came from just soccer has always been a really big part of my life. I love it a lot. It's sort of a love letter to soccer, but also to um, like familial conflicts and self-love. And uh, and I was dealing with a lot of the weirdness of becoming an author and like worrying about arrogance and sort of the balance of appreciating yourself and your accomplishments without feeling like you're becoming a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that ended up influencing a lot of the book as well but i i really love it a lot and i was worried because ophelia after all is such an important um close book for me that i was never going to connect with another book that way again like the sort of i feel like a lot of authors do that where we're like oh this is it this is really the book of my life and nothing's ever going to compare but i i love this book so much and it's it's different than ophelia but it's got a lot of the similar themes and um and i just i really love working on it a lot <laughs> Um, well, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, like the main group in Ophelia, of course, are very non-sporty, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so hold on your editor, ha- like wanted a book, like a sapphic, did she actually have like bended, bended, like Beckham written down or just a sort of soccer? Yeah. Soccer? I, I think, it, I think it literally said sapphic bended like Beckham on her manuscript. <laughs> just, so it, it has worked out perfectly. Like we joked about it where we literally both had the same like dream book idea, and it's just so we're funny. like, okay, cool. We can just do this together then. Like, <laughs> This is meant to be. All right. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. I like it too. Uh, Cause I'm not a sports person myself, but I like it um, when things are explained to me like process and, and when something's mm-hmm. broken down, explained to me. And it sounds like you, you, well, I don't know if you do that in this book necessarily, but it sounds like you could, if you'd wanted to or needed to, cause you sort of have some experience uh, with soccer. So that's always exciting for me. And uh it's such a great, that's so such a great, uh, like fertile ground 
to your point for for these types of drama and conflicts right because yeah mean, you've got so many great tropes as obviously i mean the biggest one especially on a sports team is like you know forced proximity you're forced to hang out oh with, absolutely um, yeah because it's a it's a rivals to lovers book so the forced yeah. proximity of they have to work together that's that's right and it's just it's so yeah that's wonderful um there's been some a few good ones lately too. Um, you know, Dahlia. Speaking of Dahlia, she's got one coming out that's pretty good. Um, home field advantage. It's not soccer, but yeah. it's, uh, it's sports for sure. And uh, it, yeah, there's been some some good ones. But that sounds really great. Um, so we'll look forward to that a year from now ish. I, I imagine so. Yeah. Um, 2023, anyways. At some point, first half, I would imagine, right? So mm-hmm. we look forward to that. That sounds really cool. Um, so I'm not going to read the summary for Ophelia. Anyone can find that online. Um, it's on your website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. RaquelMarie.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just made, made one up. RaquelMarieWrites.com. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> have you looked into that actually? Ra- Ra- Raquel Marie available must be available. Raquel Marie is available, oh, okay, um, which perfect. is good. It helps, I think, because my name, my first name is spelled differently than most people spell Raquel. So it, yeah, it, yeah, 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 it makes yeah. it a little more convenient for me. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so <I can laughs> to get the summary or Goodreads or Google it, everyone can find that stuff. So um, I I do want to sort of we'll get to a couple of the more non-spoiler details here with it but one thing i did want to talk about and it's i don't i'm not gonna ask you what inspired you to write the book but i, I was reading an interview there before you got on and you said something uh, started with this idea quote this is i think i'm quoting you at this point correct me if i'm wrong I'm, I'm going to be honest i sort of miss being straight i think that was something that sort of you was running through your mind at the time talk to me about yeah. that just how you sort of from your own perspective in the sense, not that, you know, not in a, not in this idea that it would lead that, that it would make for a great book idea. Right. Um, but more just how you felt coming to terms with that, because that's an, that's an interesting just ism, isn't it? Like yeah. <laughs> in, just, just in life. Right. I mean, listen, transitioning is fucking hard. Um, matching how you feel on the outside with how you feel inside is really hard especially at that age um to the point where you you miss being straight because it's easier because <laughs> it's fucking easier to be straight yeah it, it still is no we don't i wish it wasn't and i maybe someday it won't you know be as easy or just as easy or whatever however you want to phrase it but it still is fucking easier being straight and that sucks because that just means society hasn't come forward enough yet but how are you feeling at the time Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was like, I I say I was a late bloomer with sexuality, but I still like started to question things more when I was like 17, which is still so young. But I think in the perspective of like, I'm currently 23. And so my mind is like, oh, I was so behind everyone. But um, no, I, I grew up and was always very passionate about queer rights and queer advocacy from a very young age. Um, I still have a letter I wrote in like fifth grade asking Obama to legalize gay marriage. Um, and I, I never thought that it was for me in any way though. And anytime that it sort of popped into question, if like in middle school, there was a girl who, who was dating another girl and I was like, hmm, interesting. And almost tried to talk about it with a friend and immediately got a weird response. And I was like, nope, nope, we're going to repress that. We're going to walk away. And so by the time I reached my senior year of high school, I was in the position where I had liked so, so many boys, but I knew I liked this girl that I was friends with. And it was so hard for me to deny it because I was so used to recognizing that I had feelings for people and talking about it constantly. And it, w- it had never been an issue. 
And so I wrote down on like a piece of paper that wasn't straight. And I was like, all right, then we're going to walk away. And I just, I pretended like it didn't happen. And a few years later at the start of my second year of college, things had sort of fallen apart in that relationship that I'd had with this girl that was a purely platonic friendship thing. And I was in this position of, okay, the one thing that made me realize that I wasn't straight is now out of my life. What do I do now? Like, should I just, just go back to like, just liking guys because I, I do. And so, you know, that could be enough. And being in that position of like, I have to make a conscious choice now I feel about who I want to be and what I want to do in a way that I didn't have to before. I was like, oh, I kind of just wish before this was even an option. You know, it, it would have just been so much easier for me if I just never discovered this about myself and never looked into it because now I have to think about it and, you know, answer questions about why I'm no longer friends with this girl. And it, when I explained to the first people I came out to, I was literally like, I'm mostly straight, but I, I like one person. And it, so everything was hinged on that. And I kind of wish I could just, I just wanted to take it back in that moment and just forget about it. Um, because I didn't like having to explain things to people. I didn't like that. It had to be a conversation. I didn't like that. I was feeling so shitty about all of it and couldn't talk about it without then having to do like a entire essay about, okay, here's how I realized I wasn't straight. Like I wanted to just be able to say I'm sad and heartbroken about this thing and not qualify it with an entire explanation of where those feelings originated from. And so when I started writing Ophelia, after all, it came from that feeling of uh, the the original first uh, opening line of the book, which it's no longer because that was a prologue initially and this book did not need a prologue, <laughs> um, was if I'm being honest, I sort of miss being straight. And I wrote it down and I was like, all right, I guess we're going to we're going to deal with this um, just because that's exactly how I felt. I just I wanted so desperately to go back to a time where I didn't have to think about identity and what my future would mean for me, where it was just easy to follow like the cishet norms that had been presented to me. And I was like, cool, there's the rule book. Um, suddenly I had to work all this stuff out on my own and I, I didn't want to have to do that. Yeah. That's one of the more important things I think that you put in this book um, with Ophelia, with regards to her questioning um, this idea. And she gets, she gets some really great advice in this book. And I, I post something on Twitter about like, everyone needs a Wes. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, th- this idea that first of all, it's not, and shouldn't be a fucking competition. Number one, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not more queer than I am or you're less or whatever. Right. Like this idea that and it comes, it can come from within the own community as well. Right. Like you're not, yeah. you're not one of us because you only, you know, fucked one, one person of the opposite sex or whatever the situation may be. Right. Or yeah. same, same sex or whatever the situation is. Sorry. Um, that's so important. And it's really comes down to like how you define, not letting other people define you, how you define yourself mm-hmm. is always going to be, and should be more important. Right. And if even if that was the only time in your life, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you felt that it's not listen, it's one thing to to to, you know, I'll use for lack of a better word, experiment or or whatever, right? Or like mm. like have these feelings inside of you and be like, I gotta express these outwardly in some way, or I'm gonna explode. And you do that, and then you decide, oh, you know what? Maybe it wasn't for me. 
Yeah. It, did, it didn't feel the way I thought it would feel or it was supposed to feel. So you know what? I tried it. I'm glad I did. But you know, it turns out that it just wasn't for me. Right. So that's, and that's totally fine. But if you do it and it, and everything inside of you bloomed, and even if that is the only time that ever happened, I don't fucking give a shit. You call yourself yeah. whatever you want. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, as long as you're, it, it starts with, with honesty, doesn't it? As long as you're being honest with yourself and giving the community, you know, writ large, the respect that it deserves, understanding that there are those who came before you, of course, fought so many of these battles as far as language and definitions are concerned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, call yourself whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's it's like a spectrum, you know, when, yeah. when, when yeah. we start playing those games, I feel like it's... Um, it's this idea of trying to fit ourselves into labels instead of using language oh, to help we're, us. Oh, we can get into that if you want. I yeah. like, <laughs> this, like I am so mad with this. I don't even want. I want to fucking get rid of the word binary altogether. Like we are clearly mm. by bi- we are clearly bimodal as a species, right? Like we are everything about us is a spe- as a spectrum. This idea of you have to be of only two things is a purely mind dependent concept, isn't it? Like the universe doesn't care. Yeah. Does, the universe doesn't give a shit about male, female. You know what I mean? Like we've, yeah. we've, we've invented this because it's, oh, easy, absolutely. right. Cause it's easier for people like dumb people. And so, and this idea that even by, even though we're like, it's, spectrum isn't even a theory anymore. There's fucking hundreds of thousands of people living their lives this way. It's no longer a theory. It's reality. People are living their lives this way. And if we just, changed definitions even just the slightest bit and that would mean making thousands of people's lives even just a little bit better because it would it would they would maybe free themselves from discrimination but we won't even most people don't even want to do that yeah like they're stuck on this they're stuck on this binary thing and it drives me nuts yeah yeah like the fact that we act like language was some inherent like it's not like physics you know it's not this undeniable it's not math inherent yeah, thing no, yeah that already it. existed beyond <laughs> it. we invented it so it's like we can change yeah. it to yeah. accommodate people to like language develops over time regardless of anything that's and, right and so when people cling to outdated terminology or whatever is familiar to them it's like okay you you care about a you know an assemblage of letters more than you care about people existing and like living their lives it's just it's absolutely ludicrous to me and especially as someone who like writes and has studied english and and all this stuff i'm like i don't respect english enough to decide that like this is more important than actual human beings that's right and i mean and this like this this like i'm sitting i'm at a desk right now the universe doesn't know what a fucking desk is it just knows it just just knows molecules and atoms and things you know what i mean like things like yeah it doesn't we've invented desk yeah <laughs> right? exactly. like, which which means we can also change it and again if it means and if changing what our perceived ideas of what you know expression and gender and sex are all these things are supposed to be if that means making people's lives better then we should fucking do it and we should have done it by now and it fucking drives me nuts because there's some people out there that uh are stuck in this anyways. Um, This kind of does lead me to something I did want to talk about though. So what, you know, one of the things, you know, with writing a contemporary story that takes place in sort of like in a modern academic setting, certainly where things like identity and gender and expression and orientation need to be either cleared up or explained for the main character's sake. Right. And the reader Mm -hmm. and the reader in some cases talk about that challenge because you don't want to make it seem dated certainly because it's a contemporary 
And yeah. you also don't want you run the risk of making your main character seem probably a little too naive, right? Like I've read I've read yeah. books where like they've you know explained something to the main character, whatever the issue is, and I'd be like, nah, they should probably know that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that was one of my my difficulties too because even even before I knew that I wasn't straight, I was already so aware of terminology and issues in the queer community. And so it was like, and then also in in college, I was studying gender and sexuality studies. So I was so tempted at times to like really go into like theory and knowing absolutely everything. But at the same time, I'm trying to write a character who's discovering this about herself. And so I tried to have there be like a fair balance. And I also tried to think about friends that I have had growing up and, and currently who aren't straight and aren't in the queer community or who are straight and aren't in the queer community is all. And like what their understanding of different terminology is and think like, okay, let's not look at this as someone who's been involved in this community. What would it be like if someone who just sort of topically understood these issues was, was exposed to some of this. Um, so like the idea of queer, how some people still refer to it as a slur and some people use it as what they identify themselves as mm. myself being one of them. Mm-hmm. That was something I wanted to touch on in the book because, you know, for some people, those conversations are still happening today. And some people would look at that and think like, Oh no, it's not a slur at all. But then you go online and you can see that this is real discourse happening in real time for young people right now. And and even a term like asexuality, where people very topically can understand what that means, but maybe don't really get it. And so would ask someone, like, what does it actually like mean for you? And, and trying to balance that with awareness. Because, yeah, I didn't want to write a book where Ophelia's like, well, what does not straight even mean? Like, I didn't know that you could be not straight. Like, she, she's aware of that stuff, but she also doesn't understand, like, the particular nuances of different terminology and how people experience them differently. Because like we were just saying, there's a spectrum on all these identities. So even if you understand broadly what a term means, asking someone like, what does this mean for you is, is an understandable question. Oh, hundred percent. And and the thing is like, yeah, you, you may have, you may broadly understand certain things, but when you understand that nothing that exists on the surface is a monolith, yeah. And that's a great way to put I like the way you put it. You know, what does this mean to you? Right. Like, I always think about this. This is fucking really stupid. <laughs> but <laughs> but I always think about this line from City of Angels. Right. Remember that Nicolas Cage movie and Meg Ryan? I don't know if you remember that. It's going, it's going back a couple of years. But, like, <laughs> you know, they're eating peaches and he's just like she's like, he's like, what does that taste like? He's like, I don't know. What does it taste like to you? Right. Like it's, mm, yeah, it's everyone, it, it's, it's a dumb way of saying everyone's experiences, experiences <laughs> the world uniquely. Right. And that, and that includes the way they live their life and, and understand that. Yeah. Again, that's why I love using the word spectrum as much as I can, because it is exactly that. Right. And, and, and there's yeah. so many different points on a spectrum, you know, if you know anything about spectrums, like just, if you start with that basic understanding, then that should change the way not only you approach people in general, but understand there's a utility to the way we talk to people, right? Like you, mm-hmm. it's easier just to, just for someone to say, oh, I identify this way and be like, okay, that's what I'll call you. Like it's, it's, that's, e- that there, that's easy, right? Like that's a utilitarian mm-hmm. yeah. way to deal with somebody. No one comes up with somebody like, well, that's what you said, but actually you don't really look like that. So how about I do this, do that? Like, no, you just wasted five minutes, right? Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like I got shit to do, leave me alone. Um, but you know, one thing that, that Ophelia goes through for sure. And it sound, and sounds like 
you yourself, there's a great line from a book coming out. Um, and the line goes, once you know the right thing, every minute you don't do it feels wrong. And mm-hmm. that strikes me as, you know, very profound, obviously, but that connects to this story, doesn't it? And to your own life, it sounds like a little bit, right? Like talk about sort of Ophelia going down that road. And because once you go down it or once you start it, I mean, I know your line about it was easier being straight or whatever, or I miss being straight, but going back isn't an option. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of, that's almost the journey she goes on in the book is she, she realizes she's not straight. And then she's like, okay, now I would like to try to go back. And, but she just can't because it's, it's not that she, you know, considered feelings, like you were saying earlier about like experimenting where I fully advocate for everyone, you know, questioning shit as much as they want. And it's fine if you conclude that you're exactly the same as you expected you were at the beginning. It'd be one thing if she were to question her sexuality and be like, oh no, I'm, no, I'm actually straight. I'm good. And then go on. But she, she doesn't, she realizes she absolutely can have romantic feelings for people regardless of gender. And she wants to try to go back, but it's, it's Pandora's box. She can't just be like, okay, cool. never mind. Um, and, and so that was something that I really try to get across in the book is how difficult that is that it, she's, she's constantly still trying to go back and thinking like, Oh, maybe this time, maybe this time, but that's just not the truth. And it, it is, it's hard to accept that, but there's also so much freedom and enjoy that comes from getting to the other side of that and saying, okay, this, this is actually who I am. And there is a lot of freedom that comes with queer identity. And I wanted there to be a fair balance of it is hard to be queer because of the society we live in, but being queer in and of itself is a blessing. It's not, it's not a curse by any means. Oh gosh, no. Um, yeah, that's like, yeah, there is, there's that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for sure. Right pun intended. Um, Mm -hmm. um, but it is a journey. It is a journey. And depending on where you are, where you live, who you're friends with, you know, what, what decade you grow up in, what part of the country you grew up in, everyone's journey is different. And some are very fucking difficult. And, you know, Mm -hmm. those are people that we really, really need to reach out to and offer any type of encouragement, whether it's words or whatever. But one of the things that this book, um, has lots of is help and understanding mm-hmm. and, and support for Ophelia, right? Of course, you know, there is, there's some, some instances where things are very uncomfortable for sure, but for the most part, Ophelia has a pretty good support group, doesn't she? Um, starting at home. Um, yeah. Now, a lot of that, of course, now the, and any problems that do happen at home are, have really have more to do with just like crossed wires, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about that because there's an important part in this book where, you know, Ophelia goes to a party and something happens at the party that's very uncomfortable. Um, you know, there's some, some very discriminatory, harsh words, you know, aimed in her direction, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And she only chooses to tell one of her parents about it. And that causes a pretty big problem in the, in the house, doesn't it, between her and one of the other parents. Talk about that, the difficulty of you know, going through this process, still trying to hold on to your, you know, a part of your old self because you just think it's the right thing to do. But at the same time, you're, you're unsure about how to communicate it and you're unsure about how different adults will react to it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, in, in Ophelia, after all, her mom has a very particular view of her as a romantic, as very boy crazy. And that's something that Ophelia has difficulty grappling with because she has a very close relationship with her, both her parents. And, and like you said, any conflicts they all have with each other, it's, it's crossed wires. And I wanted it to be this really loving home and, and relationship she has with her parents, but that it is imperfect and that they can show that sometimes there's, there's difficulty with this stuff and it's not because someone is being intolerant or, you know, you're going to get kicked out of the home, but just because it, it's, difficult to explain to someone I'm different than you thought I was and I'm different than I thought I was and I'm trying to figure out what that means and so Ophelia is able to communicate issues a little bit easier with her father over her mother and I wanted that to play in in part to sort of gendered expectations and how mother-daughter relationships can sometimes hold a different set of expectations as far as like, well, I know what it's like to be a teenage girl and to grow up as a teenage girl. And so I'm able to relate to you on these experiences. Um, and you can see it at times in the book, Ophelia's connection with her parents very much comes from them trying to reach out and relate to her and understand what she's going through, but it's based so much in their own experiences and neither of them can relate to what she's going through. And so it's so hard for her to be able to convey what's happening to both of them because this is, this is uncharted territory for her, but also for them. And growing up, you're used to being able to go to adults and say, hey, I'm dealing with this thing. You were once my age. I'm sure you've dealt with this. Can you help? And to have her suddenly think like, oh, my parents don't know what this is like they're not going to be able to help me here. And in fact, may make it more difficult for me because they are going to come into it with their own confusion and expectations and preconceived notions about what it means to not be straight. Um, and that's something I had a lot of, I don't want to say fun because it's not fun, but I, I enjoyed getting to explore that in the book because I think I, I like having parents and family be involved in the books that I write just because I have a really close relationship with my parents I family has always been a huge influence in my life and exploring that in characters, I think is a really great way for me to understand who they are, but also particularly with the coming out story, I wanted to show this particular character. She's not in danger of being kicked out or disowned for coming out, but she understands that this loving relationship with her parents where she's been able to talk about them, talk to them about anything and they're always going to love her and it's always going to be great to realize that suddenly in jeopardy ends up jeopardizing every other relationship because this is the most important relationship in her life. And if this is suddenly uh, threatened by her not being straight, everything else has to be as well. Um, and understanding that that threat is just in that it's not going to be the same, that they may love her differently. They may look at her differently. Um, and that her parents don't work in a unit, that they each have their own expectations, that her father as a Latino understands things differently than her mom does, that her mom as, a, as someone who has been a teenage girl understands things differently than her father does. Um, and so getting to explore that was a really important part of the book for me. Um, it's very, very effective. Um, the parts at home, the rela her relationship with her parents, um, very effective, so much that like, when we go through some of these scenes where there is discord and you know that 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 
lifeline, that safety line is it, uh, it bends, but it doesn't break, but it sure, yeah. bend, but it really bends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really, it really and, bends. <laughs> and, uh, and those are like, yeah, I really felt, felt those moments for sure. Like that's, that's really when more than, you know, you know, we'll talk about her friends here in a second, but more like, and a lot of people are leaning into the big friend group stuff. And as they should, it's done well. But for me, I think who didn't have a big friend group, I can't necessarily relate to that, but I can relate mm-hmm. to having parents that maybe didn't understand you. I'm not, man, yeah. maybe not the best way to put it, but maybe, but not from, from a lack of, of empathy, but from a lack of, of not maybe knowing all the facts. Mm-hmm. So that is, so that's, it's really, those scenes were really, really wonderful. Uh, Kyle, I really, really, really enjoyed those scenes. Thank you. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it is Ophelia's, P- it's her book, it's her story, it's her POV, but yeah, we do get a really good look at the main cast her, cause her support group goes outside of the house as well. Um, all her, her circle of friends are all, you really could have just spun the wheel here. Any one of them could have probably have a book. Um, mm-hmm. they're all interesting enough in their own right, I think for sure. But, um, you know, my heart I'm, I'm team Wes. Yeah. Um, Wes, Wes tends to be everyone's favorite, course, which I, well, I but you wrote it that way. Love. So yeah. That, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> eggs too, for sure. Right. Like, Oh Wes, yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's, it's very clear, you know, how they're written, <laughs> who we're supposed to like, <laughs> yeah. and that's, and, and, and that's totally right. And that's totally, and that's fine. That's totally, <laughs> that's allowed. Right. Um, but Wes does have a really great line. I want you to expand on it or just explain it. I mean, I know what it means, but I want you to hear you explain it. So he has a great line that says people confuse acceptance with erasure. Talk to me a little bit mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Um, so that, that particular context and what I was getting at is this idea of sometimes when someone comes out, I see it, I see it a lot online in particular with uh, trans teenagers coming out to their parents, but just coming out in general where you tell someone and they're like, oh, I don't care. Like, that doesn't matter to me. And people are coming from a place of like, this won't affect our relationship, but it comes across in this sort of erasure method and dismissive to a degree because they're like, oh, I don't, they're essentially like, I don't give a shit about this part of your identity that you've clearly grappled with immensely. And that like, you've now found terminology that makes you feel like you're coming into your own more that's usually what the person on the other side hears and um and you know people are are attempting to be accepting and loving and showing that this relationship is not going to fall apart because of this new information but i think it's important when someone comes out and they're doing it in a way where this is clearly a big deal for them that you do show excitement for them because this is a blessing in their life and and again to to sort of connect it to trans teenagers coming out i i saw some tweet recently talking about how um parents will sometimes act like they're grieving their pre-transition child and how that can be so damaging for their kid because this is the moment where they have finally feel like they're living their life they, this is a new birth for them in some ways because they can finally be themselves and to see someone mourning that or or having any feeling other than pure joy and excitement for them is so it's heartbreaking it's hard when when this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to you possibly and so in that that line in that particular context is this feeling of ophelia has grappled with her sexuality so much throughout the book and she is terrified that when she finally gets to be vulnerable about it, it's just going to be seen as like, oh, this is no big deal. This is whatever. 
when she's been stressing for 300 whatever pages <laughs> about this entire situation. Um, and, and so that was something that I was kind of trying to get at because I think it can end up feeling really dismissive when, when people respond to it in such a like, oh, whatever, cool way um, instead right. of in a very exciting way. Right. Especially when you feel like you're all alone because yeah. you, you haven't had like there's, you know, there's a bit in the third act where her worldview gets sort of blown wide open mm-hmm. <laughs> right? when she, yeah. realized, when she re- like in a very big way and she realizes um, this isn't a fight she has to fight by herself. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, people who have already gone through some of the stuff that she's going through that can maybe help. Right. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. And everyone's situation is different, of course. And not everyone has a support group, which is, which is sad for sure. But, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, she understands that uh, she's not, you know, weird or, or, fucking freak, <laughs> or a freak yeah. or whatever, like, yeah. you know, and, and it's okay to not have it like instantly figured out and that it's mm-hmm. okay to like, not be sure to what you want to call yourself going forward or whatever the situation is. And that's, you know, really wonderful, wonderful uh, language and lessons there in the third act for sure. But um, uh, we'll get you out of here in a couple of minutes. <laughs> it's really, it, we're going to run out of time. Um, but uh one of the one, you know, some fun, funnish, funner stuff anyways, is sort of like this book sets the board for like multiple romance tropes. Like I could easily point to a bunch of different things in this book. Like there's an enemies to lovers, friends to lovers, rivals to lovers. There's a triangle. <laughs> there's a fake dating if you really want to go deep. Um, but it delivers on none of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's not a spoiler. I'm not saying that's not a spoiler because what, because the point is, and I, and I'm, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because this is your book, not mine. It's your story, but this isn't a romance. Oh, absolutely not. I've okay. tried to be very adamant online. Okay. Like, this is right. not a romance. Do not walk into this thinking this is a romance. Perfect. Okay. So that's clear. But it's funny because you really like toil in all those different, like, tro- yeah. It's really funny. Like, and especially, and now part of that is because you have the big friend group. You have a large mm-hmm. group and a lot of different people, and they're all different in their own, unique in their own way. And they, so, you know, there's different sort of like with intergroup stuff going on <laughs> with this with as far as you know different affections and feelings and things like this so it's really interesting how you sort of move the chessboard around that way but that in turn just leads leads itself to all these different types of wonderful dynamics and tropes that we love for romance but again not a romance um and also too if you know and everyone if anyone doesn't believe me there are an endless amount of endings to stories. And if you don't, again, just mm-hmm. Google ending tropes, if you don't believe me. <laughs> and like, it's fucking like millions of them, right? <laughs> now, the one, of course, we're used to because of just, uh, you know, too many years of being indoctrinated with with Disney shit, happily ever after, right? Of course, is, mm-hmm. is the one we, and maybe the one we like the most because life is shit. And when we do read or watch something, we like to escape and we just love happily ever after, right? But I love actually this recent trend of like, um people are taking these old classics and giving us like the morning after right mm-hmm. like it's 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 always like oh shit what have we done now 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 like we got to live the life of you know the reality of the consequences of what just happened in the book and now we got to deal with it i'm always a fan of when when we ta- tackle things like this and and certainly you know um update old stories with a modern sensibility right which is a super mm-hmm. super important but anyways so the ending of this book is uh, it's not happily ever after. So what is it to you without spoilers, I'm, if you can, because yeah, yeah, it's a real, um, 
I love this ending. I love because even though I'm like a closure nerd, I also understand that life goes on. Yeah. Right. That the story, like Ophelia's story doesn't end when we stop reading it. Mm-hmm. Right. Her life goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love happily ever afters. I love romances. My second book is, is a romance more, but right. Ophelia, some of the books that I loved so much growing up were ones that had open endings. Yeah. And so much of this book is about the fact that when you're 17 years old and you're about to graduate high school, this is not the end of your life. This is the beginning of it. And you don't have to have everything worked out. And I felt like I had to give this book an ending that follows that. I mm. couldn't give it an ending that's like, okay, cool. Now everything's perfectly wrapped up and everyone's great and happy because it would be antithetical to the point of the book. It, that's just not how this one works out. Right. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a happy open ending is I think sort of what I would would portray it as because yeah, it's not a romance. The, the point of this book isn't to get two characters to end up together. It's about a, a girl understanding that she is going to grow and change throughout the rest of her life and that that's okay. And so for the book to end with her being in the position of, okay, cool, I'm going to keep living my life and keep growing and changing and it's not all worked out right now um, was really important to me. And there were times throughout the process where I wanted to try to, I was like, oh, should I just make it like a, I could just make it a romance. I could make it happily ever after. But I wanted to write the, the book that I would have needed to read at the time when I was figuring out my sexuality. And it wasn't going to be a, a happily ever after that would have helped me. It would have been a book like this. That's like, it's okay to not have it worked out and figuring out your sexuality is a messy experience sometimes, but you're going to be fine. And there's a lot of good that's still to come in life in the future. Yeah. She's not hopeless. She's hopeful. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's the promise of, of something good coming. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really appreciated about it. There's no guarantees in life. Right. Right. There just isn't. Um, but, you know, it ends in, in a way where you're like, you know, it's Ophelia's going to be okay. At the, yeah, right? exactly. at, the, at the very least. Right. Like, you know, it might, it, it might, could turn out a myriad of different ways. Right? <laughs> but, but I think we, we at least leave it understanding that, you know what, Ophelia's going to be all right you know, no matter mm-hmm. what, no matter what happens, she's at a good spot. And I think that's, that's really the only thing you can ask. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Philly after all comes out February 8th. This will probably air just after though. But um, listen, this is a great contemporary book. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's this really wonderful sort of combination of like insular and slice of life. It doesn't necessarily concern itself with like the outside world. You know what I mean? Like, of mm-hmm. course, you, of course you make, you, you, you bring up some very important issues that affect a lot of people, you know, immigration, cultural relation, you know, preparation for sure. There's even a whole fucking Shakespeare angle in this book that we, didn't <laughs> talk, that we didn't even talk about. We're at, we're, at, we're at a time, but that's, you know, this, this, this book, you know, speaks uh, to a larger world, I think, but, but, more importantly, sort of, you know, from the point of view of these characters in their, their little, you know, bubble, for lack of a better word. And it, I mean, they got enough going on. They don't need to worry about <laughs> what's yeah, going yeah. on. Yeah, they've got There's a lot enough... going on in like their friend group That's during right. lunchtime. You know? There's <laughs> enough drama to last them, you know. And then and then you throw in, of course, just the whole, I mean, Jesus, I mean, like, you know, the months leading into prom last year of high school. <laughs> that is just like, again, just just ripe for the picking, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, this is a very, this is, you know, I'm, I'm such a, like Slice of Life is one of my favorite anime genres and uh, mm. I just love slice of life and this very much was so very much like that and and I like it when I'm asked to to work a little bit 
as a reader, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, start to sort of, you know, figure out the before and after on my own. I'm totally okay with that. And uh, this book does, did that for me anyways. I won't know about it and what anybody else, uh, how they experience it, but that's how I experienced it. And I really, really enjoyed this book, Raquel, a lot. <laughs> and and so just, much. and I've seen people online and, and a lot of people are enjoying this book. So I think you've, you've definitely, you've, you know, for your first book, I think you've peaked, you're done. Sorry. Oh, oh perfect. Cool. Sorry. I, I Might as well quit. The second one. Yeah. Might as well quit. You're done. No, that's, <laughs> I think we're good. Uh, I look forward to, to, to the rest of your career because I think you knocked out of the park with this book. So um, listen, um raquelmariewrites.com and uh yeah check out the website (laughs) any um any uh launch events stuff you've got going on i know you'll update on your social media feeds i assume Mm -hmm. right yes yes for sure so yeah make sure people uh find raquel online and uh you probably got a whole bunch of wonderful week long things planned i imagine uh yeah i've got well a lot of turning in stuff to do of course that well that's a truism now that you're in now that you're in the cycle of publishing it's like whenever you're marketing one book you're on a deadline for another one so yeah Yeah, exactly yeah it's this they stick you into this this 12 month rotation don't they where it's like yeah yeah but i I like they've kept me busy and i'm churning out work so i'm i'm pleased at the moment no yeah no and and uh listen you gotta you can't say no at this point now right yeah anyways raquel thank you so much um congratulations debut book i'm so happy for you um i know a lot of people are and uh I mean, obviously you won't get any sleep the night before, but, um, you know, try if, even have a nap or something at some point, but, um, <laughs> best of luck, have a really great launch day. Thank you. Thank you so much. There you have it. Another episode of everything is canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Raquel for stopping by and chatting with me. This is a fantastic debut book and I'm sure we'll be talking about Raquel for many years to come. Ophelia after all is out now. So pick up a copy wherever you buy your books. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to CineLinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.